Hello and welcome to My Biggest Lesson, the show that brings you the key learnings from the most influential founders, executives, and investors in the Colorado tech community. My name is Adam Burrows. And I'm Chris Erickson. Together, we are the co-founders of Range Ventures. An early stage venture firm based in Denver. You can find out more about what we're up to at range.vc. Our guest this week is Gary Kalega. Gary is the founder and co-CEO of Revel One, a specialized marketing, recruiting, and strategy firm based in Denver. Prior to starting Revel One, Gary has a wide range of experiences in e-commerce and marketing, holding senior roles at Craftsy, Coupons.com, Agile One, and eBay. Gary, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Would love to hear a little bit about Revel One for those that aren't familiar, and then um, you know, would love to hear hear a little bit of the story of how you got there. Yeah, absolutely. So Revel One is the largest uh, go-to-market retained search firm in the country, and uh, I think you know what, what's unique and interesting about us is you know we're not ex-recruiters ourselves. You know, I got into this business out of a frustration of working with traditional recruiters, especially generalist recruiters on marketing roles at first. You know, I've, I've uh, have a long career running marketing at different organizations. And, you know, I think one thing that I've learned over the years is marketing is increasingly specializing. And I think the reason why uh, marketing and, and marketers are specializing is because the function is changing so fast that people are needing to specialize in order to stay current. And also the roles become a lot more analytical and technical. And so I think, you know, what my co-founder and I saw was as all that complexity was coming to bear, um, it required someone with uh, uh, some level of you know, marketing expertise to make the best matches. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, you know, to go from um, operator to uh, the recruiting side side of it. So l- love to hear a little bit more about kind of that operating history you have. I know you've got a great set of experiences and like ultimately how you have found that transition. Yeah, sure. So early in my career, uh, I was an eBay employee. So I ran their consumer electronics business back when eBay was actually under 500 people, um, saw the company grow from 500 people to 13,000. So through many evolutions of management teams, um, then uh, left there and joined a small mobile media company called Send Me Mobile. Uh, I was the president of a Sequoia-backed marketing intelligence company called Agile One. Um, then I was the head of marketing for coupons.com, which went public. And it was around then I was starting to get uh, a little bit burned out of the Bay Area. And, uh, you know, a friend of mine from, um, from eBay, John Levesay, had started Craftsy in Denver. And so that was what brought me out to Denver. Uh, I ran category management for them. And then we, we later got bought by NBC. And so, you know, it was about that point that I was starting to reflect on my career. And I said, you know, geez, I've always been passionate about talent. And, you know, I've, I've both hired recruiters and obviously I've been recruited and, you know, felt like this is a, a place where I could add a lot of value. That's, that's fantastic. Um, how have you, how have you find it, found it? Like, what are the, some of the unexpected things that maybe a little bit unexpected um, along the way and, and differences versus operating? No, it's a lot harder than I thought. To be, to be honest, you know, I think people have this view of recruiters as, you know, they just have this network and, 
you know, they under, you know, they get the role requirements and they just bring the right people to bear. But it's it's so much more complex than that. And and it's com- it's complex because people are changing jobs so quickly that you really need both relationships and networks as well as technology to track all those moves. And so to be able to go in to a CEO and understand, you know, what do they really need, you know, to be able to read between the lines, to understand the essence of the role, and then make that match um, is really a combination of, of, of art and science that I think I underestimated before I got into this business. So, Gary, it sounds like uh, prior to coming here, you, you spent a bunch of time in the Bay Area, um, and it looks like you've been out here in Colorado for sort of eight or nine years. Um, at this point, would love to hear how you've seen the Colorado ecosystem from a tech perspective change since you've been out here, uh, and especially sort of compare where we are now to, to how you see us doing versus the Bay Area. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. You know, when I first came out to the Bay Area, you know, it really felt like it was about people and technology, and it was just a great place to be. And unfortunately, I think because of all the success of Silicon Valley, you know, it attracted people who were there for the money. And I felt like, you know, that made the culture worse. And and I feel like where Denver is now is where, you know, the Bay Area was before that happened, right? I feel like it's, it's a real community where people are interested in helping each other. They care about the technology as much as the people. And we've seen a huge influx of, of talent and, uh, you know, great companies and VCs. And then I think when I was first here, you know, it was like, you know, it was Craftsy, it was Ibotta with the big tech companies, and it was Foundry on the VC side. And, you know, now we're seeing a lot more startups and a lot more tech companies, um, both startups that have moved here, like companies like Palantir, startups that were born here. And uh, some of the influx of talent has been accelerated by some of the large tech companies in Silicon Valley opening up, you know, additional offices here like Oracle and Google. So net net, we've really benefited from a strong influx of talent. What are you What are you seeing on the recruiting side there? If you think like when I remember Gary years ago, maybe this is this is even ten years ago. I was at a uh, uh, Colorado Technology Association event, and they were saying, you know, our problem is we can get people to come out to Colorado, but then you know they're really afraid to go take the plunge because what if this company doesn't work out, right? And they'll have to move back. And I and you know my perception is that's changed pretty dramatically. Um, what have you seen on the recruiting side? Absolutely. It's so funny that you say that. I remember when I was at Craftsy, you know, we, we used to pitch how that wasn't the case as we were trying to attract talent. And the reality is, is you know, the, the argument wasn't as strong as I would have liked. There weren't that many other great options. I feel like now there is a robust community. There are enough great tech companies that if it doesn't work out at one place, you know, you can go somewhere else. So we're seeing less and less of that. Yeah. Gary, I want to jump back to something you said about sort of um, you know, how the, the Bay Area, when, when you were first there, was about, you know, people and technology and what was being built and changed. And that's actually something that resonates strongly with me. I, I moved to the Bay Area in 2011, then moved out here to, to Denver in 2019 and, and feel like I saw the same change happen over that period. And it was part of what really attracted me to Denver was getting back to what I felt was a really healthy ecosystem. Um, how do you think we we prevent maybe some of those negative changes from happening happening here as it continues to grow at the pace it is? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, one of the things that you know I've learned that I'm going to talk about in terms of my big, biggest lesson is, you know, when you're hiring people, 
you need to focus on on culture and personality fit and not just skills. And I think a lot of Silicon Valley companies were, you know, hiring purely based on skills. And when you do that, you'll get mercenaries. And I think that fundamentally is what helped accelerate that change. I mean, I remember one of the conversations that was really the tipping point is just how people used to ask you what you were building. And then I think more commonly at cocktail parties, the question was, how many options did you get? And what was the strike price? <laughs> wow, that's, 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 that's a fascinating anecdote. <laughs> I think is, is, is totally, totally true. Um, I mean, I can even speak, you know, when I was at, at Home Advisor, even internally in the, cult, the culture, I saw a shift a little bit as we were about to go public, went from what are we building and what problems are we solving to people, you know, definitely caring and, and getting up to speed on how options work and, and, you know, public market lockups and all that sort of thing. So hopefully we can keep the culture here uh, that, that we currently have that's so collaborative. Gary, what's a, what's a company that you, maybe you've got your eye on here that you think is particularly interesting in the local market? Yeah, I'm a big fan of the of the pros closet. You know, the, the former CEO of uh, Crafts, he runs it. He's built a great management team and a management team that's passionate about the product. And, you know, I think that makes a big difference and you see it in what they've built. Um, I'm a big fan of marketplaces coming, you know, coming from eBay. They're incredibly hard to build. But once you get the flywheel going, you know, they're a tremendous business to, to run and manage. And I think that, you know, the, the key for marketplaces is as you can specialize, you can add more value in each transaction. And, and they've done a really good job of that and the content they develop to educate the customer because, you know, ultimately they're selling a very high ASP bikes. And so they do a nice job of walking the customer through the journey. So I really like the pros closet. And, and John's a great example. So John Levis, you mentioned before, is the, the CEO. I mean, John's a great example of, of now a multiple-time CEO in the ecosystem, right? From from Craftsy now to Pros Closet. And um, one of those great signs of, of how the ecosystem has matured is, is kind of you see people actually succeeding with multiple companies now. Exactly. And and someone who, you know, despite how successful he's been, is very generous with his time. I mean, he's been a mentor to me and to others. And I think that's all part of how we keep this good community going. Me, me as well. He, <laughs> he, he, hired, he hired me originally at Service Magic. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, great. So, Gary, you know, you touched on it a bit. So let's jump into why we're here. We'd love to learn what your biggest lesson has been over your career and how you learned it and how you implement the learnings from it today in your career. Absolutely. So, you know, it's really that, that culture eats strategy for breakfast, to, to, to borrow the old Peter Drucker. But, but I'll tell you how I've experienced it in my life and why I think that's even more important for startups and, and kind of some of the best practices I've picked up along the way. Um, so first is context. I would say, you know, I used to think culture was a fluffy topic at startups, right? I believed if you had the right product market fit, you had smart people and the right resources, that was the formula for success. And, and I don't think that's right anymore. Um, and so where I've seen it is kind of two, two ways. One, in the prior roles I've had where, you know, I've had the good fortune of working for a lot of great tech companies, but they've had, you know, with really smart people, but that have very different outcomes. And, you know, only with the benefit of hindsight, I think was I able to see that the ones that did well it was the people that really separated them and the ones that didn't, didn't have great team dynamics. And, and, an, and an even more interesting example is eBay, because I was there through so many different cohorts of teams. It's a good test case because it was the same product, 
right? And it went through different waves of profitability and effectiveness, depending upon how good the culture was at that time, right? So when we had everyone aligned around a common vision, roles clearly defined, and strong team dynamics, we produced incredible results. When new managers came in and we didn't have elements of that and it became more political, you saw some of the best, smartest people, you know, doing bad things and, you know, it produced bad results. Then, you know, now running Revel One, I, I see it with our clients where, you know, marketing is already heavily specializing, as I was saying before. And so, you know, a lot of clients will focus too much on getting a very specific set of skills. And then when it comes to culture, they just have the, you know, we don't hire jerks rule. But like, that's actually not good enough. And when we see people that are brought in that aren't good culture fits, but have the right skills, we find it doesn't work out. And, and so, you know, I've been thinking a lot, you know, in advance of this about why I think that is. And I think the reason for startups in particular is startups are really about innovation and creativity and in a highly dynamic environment, right? Where the problem is constantly evolving and changing. And I think, you know, to get the best innovation and creativity, it requires the team to have trust and vulnerability, right? And that, that's a really fragile dynamic. If you're in a political dynamic, um, you tend to uh, want to minimize mistakes rather than maximize value, right? People are shutting down and they're protecting themselves rather than being willing to get to be vulnerable. And, and, and that just doesn't produce good, good results. And I would say the, the, the other example that I've seen with clients is they'll hold on to someone who's a superstar, but, you know, has sharp elbows for way too long because they just, you know, they, they, they can't, they admire a particular person so much. And I think this is a really good example. What you'll see is if it shuts down other people, no matter how smart you are, one person's contributions can rarely offset the decrease in productivity you get from all those other people. So I think this team dynamic thing is, is really important. So that's kind of how I've seen it. On, on, on the other hand, you know, and I, I feel like at, at Revel One, there's been a little bit of our secret sauce is we've really focused on, on culture and team dynamics, which, you know, in, a revo in, in an environment that's been remote since day one, you know, has really required us to make a big investment in it and really be thoughtful about it. And, and, and what I'd say is when you get it right, Man, it's impactful. You get this one plus one equals three type of a uh, type of an equation where the strong team dynamics just fuels an innovation cycle. Where what happens is when people present creative ideas, others rather than criticize it, they see what they like about it and they can build on it, or they help you vet it out, but they do it in a non-judgmental way. And I find it's absolutely. So, Gary, I couldn't couldn't agree more with what you're saying. And I think also I, I learned the lesson in the same way you did, where I didn't appreciate the importance of it until I sort of got into it and sort of realizing, you know, what outcomes the different environments create. Uh, now I want to ask you the harder part of the question, though, like, how do you do that? And how are you doing that at, at, at Revel One? Yeah, so first at, at the at, at the highest level it is about when you're you know when you're building the hiring scorecard and you're thinking about you know checking off the different items that are important to you don't over index just to skills you know take someone if you have someone who is has 70% of the skills that you need but is 100% culture fit take that over the reverse any day 
right? And so the way that you can, I think, assess that during the hiring process is one, we really like projects, right? So people are really good at presenting their, their, um, their resumes, and I think they can kind of get into their story and their flow, and it doesn't help you get to know them. What we like to do is projects where um, it's only a couple of hours of prep on their end. It's more uh, the, you know, the dialogue that happens, and you almost want to make it as interactive as possible where you're giving them not all the information they need, but part of it, and then as, they, as the project unfolds, you're giving them feedback. And the reason why that's important is, you know, you want to see how they handle the interaction. You want to see how they respond to feedback. It will be the best proxy for what they're going to be like when you work with them. And then, you know, that, pro that process won't always be perfect. You know, once they're in the firm, you know, when you see bad behavior or things that are political, you know, you need to, to shut it down quickly. One of the things, Gary, I, I mean, I think this is a fascinating lesson. We could spend an hour, hour on this because culture is something Chris and I talk about a lot with our companies and, you know, in our, our own experience. Do you ever find when, when you talk to a company that is looking to, to bring on a marketing hire and you, and you kind of talk to them about culture and, and maybe you say, what is a, your culture? Do, do they have a hard time defining what that is? And, and do you think if they don't, is it even accurate, right? Do they even know what their culture really is? It, it's interesting. We ask the question every time and, and you do get a sense of when it just feels like a platitude versus, you know, something that's authentic. And, you know, usually um, how simply they can describe it um, is a good indicator of how authentic it is. And, and, and another thing actually that's really helpful, um, I forgot to mention this, is in the hiring process, you should show people your values. Right. You should show people a description of what's the culture, what are the values, and, and, and they should be written in a clear enough way that it attracts the right type of people and actually almost scares off the wrong type of people. I think it's an important step in the hiring process. And as you, you think then about showing those values and, and you know, making sure people are aligned with them upfront, sort of top and mid funnel, do you do, you do anything sort of after the fact, which is sort of like a, a retro with your team or leadership to check in and say, how are we doing as a team or a company to values? Or how do you make sure that sort of once you get through that gate, uh, you're continually reinforcing that? Because one of, one of the lessons I learned is that you have to continually be talking about your values, right, throughout the organization. And so I wonder how, how you've done that in practice. So uh, a couple ways. So one, we get the whole company together, even though we're remote three times a year, and we'll review the values as a team to make sure everyone's aware of them. But it's also built into our performance review cycle, right? So we use Lattice as our performance management system. And Lattice does a really nice job where when you're evaluating people, you, you, you can evaluate them in the context of your values. And I find that's a nice reinforcement. And then we also do um, company surveys of the employees to understand how happy they are. And um, in that process, we'll also ask people to sort of nominate uh, the folks that exemplify those values and we'll celebrate them at those company events. Gary, just wondering if there's any um, anecdotes or stories that come to mind from some of the you know recruiting engagements you've done where th there has been this um, culture skills you know, clash or, or, or balance where either you had a, you know, tried to guide somebody in the right direction or, or a client maybe is, has, has made the wrong decision or, or so forth? You know, um, 
I would say in my, you know, I think we do a pretty good job of steering our clients. You know, I would say in in, in one of my prior companies, you know, we had a, a chief revenue officer who was, you know, a brilliant guy. I mean, worked at the Federal Reserve, just just really, really smart. And you know, he he had very, very sharp elbows. And and I I would noticeably see the demeanor of the people in the room, you know, shut down as he spoke. And, you know, there was no question he was smart, but 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 again, I think only in retrospect was I able to see kind of the net impact of that. And and so, you know, what I what I would say that the positive or, or the one of the ways to combat this is at Revel One, we'll, we, 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 you know, we really focus on finding you know, smart people and they still need to have 70% of the skills, right? So I'm not saying that's not important. But what we'll often do is customize the role to the person. And not enough companies do this. I mean, when you're a large company, the roles are extremely well-defined and, and, and they're highly specialized because of the scale. But in a startup, they're dynamic anyway. So you have more flexibility to design the org around the person. And so as an example, you know, we hire a lot of ex-CMOs and we have them as executive recruiters. And not all of them want to do recruiting 100%. They usually want 30% of doing something else. So what we have is all of our vice presidents that are executive recruiters also have large functional responsibilities within the company. So we have one person who runs all of our data and insights initiative. You know, we have another person who's running our marketing initiatives. And so, and, and by the way, it also is nice because they're, they're doing those functions being very close to the business, but by, by, by being flexible on how we scope the roles, it's allowed us to, to, to punch above our weight class in terms of the people that we've attracted. That's really, that's really smart and an interesting model for recruiting uh, in the future. Yeah. 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 Gary, this is this is great, great topic, great lesson, and congrats on all the success so far. You know, pioneering the the new model for recruiting at, at Revel One. Where can our listeners get in touch with you or, or Revel One if they want to chat? Right on, uh, right on our website, revel onecom There's a there's a contact us form that I'll get. Um, or if they have uh, questions where they want to reach me directly, I'm happy to give out my email, which is uh, g Calega C A L E G A at revel onecom Gary, thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. 